And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to another episode of All the Above, the show that gives you an unstandardized take on education. I'm Jeffrey Garrett, one of your co-hosts, and I've been a middle and high school principal and a high school social studies teacher, and as always, I'm joined by... Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. I'm a high school history teacher in the Los Angeles area. This is my 16th year in the classroom, and this, of course, is all of the above. Your home for news and analysis of all matters pertaining to education. Now, Jeff, our previous episode, we talked about grading, and I think it struck a chord because we've had a lot of engagement with that episode about um, about grading. Why do you think that might be, Jeff? You know, I think it's just one of those topics that's so at the top of everyone's mind right now, right? And certainly among educators who are, you know, we got progress reports coming up soon and, you know, uh, end of year uh, is right around the corner and folks are really wondering, like, what to do. And then, of course, you got kids and families that are worried about college and college applications and GPA and you know, just all of that stuff. So I think it I think it struck a chord. I mean, heck, we even got major universities making policy decisions on on grading now. So we it do. is, uh, you know, it's it is timely, shall we say. Indeed, indeed. And for folks who are new to the show, um, we only talk about the important stuff and we only have the dope guests. So if that was your first episode and you're joining us here for the second episode, thank you for coming back. But do remember at our website, AOTAshow.com, we've got like a ton of episodes about pretty much everything important and um, pressing in the matter in the in the world of education. So definitely check those out. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice that we are socially distanced. We're doing this remote um, recording thing. We're about 25 miles apart. And Jeff, I I at first wasn't sure about keeping our show going outside of the TV studio, but I've come to to learn that pretty much all the all the big dogs out there are doing it just like this, whether it be the Daily Show or the Nightly News or or, or whatever. So we're right up there with them, Jeff. Yeah, man. I will say that uh, you know, sil silver linings, I guess, in uh, in this global pandemic is that it has leveled the playing field between all the above and, you know, CNN and MSNBC. I mean, we are, uh, you know, essentially using the same technology, same setups as everyone else and uh, definitely gotten some some good uh, positive feedback from folks about how we're uh, keeping the show alive and it's looking good. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And if, and if you're used to listening to the podcast version of our show um, while you commute to work or whatever, um, you're probably not commuting to work anymore. So this might be a good time for you to check us out on YouTube so you can see our beautiful faces as we discuss all of the issues that are first and foremost on, on everybody's mind when it comes to education. So Jeff, fresh episode today. What's on today's agenda? Well, Manuel, as always, we got a good one for folks, and I am just just thrilled about the guests we have coming on today. So we are going to be unpacking uh, a topic that I think is very much front and center in the lives of just about every family in America right now. As all the schools are closed, as parents have become teachers at home, as kids are now engaging in learning, um, you know, without their teacher, or at least to a large extent without their teacher or teachers. 
you know, placed right in the laps of everyone in America is perhaps one of the most terrifying aspects of school uh, for people, which is, which is math, right? And folks kind of dealing with their math phobias as uh, they're having to carry out school at home. And so we have two incredible guests, um, Dana Enriquez Vontour, who is a math coach and, uh, and consultant working with schools and teachers uh, out of Houston. And we have Cara M, who is also uh, a math coach and professional developer um, out of New York City. Um, who works with teachers and uh, school leaders and schools across the country and internationally to help us unpack this, this kind of issue and this set of questions around what does it look like for us to teach math at home in the new normal of distant learning. So it's going to be a great conversation, man. Well, you definitely want to stick around, folks. Dope. Looking forward to it. But up first will be our Do Now, where we take a look at recent headlines in the world of education. Stay tuned. All right, folks, it's time for today's Do Now, where we take a look at some recent headlines in education, particularly some of those stories that might not be getting the level of attention in our national media that they deserve. Manuel, what do we got for today's Do Now? Well, Jeff, as you recall, last week we talked about grades and how messy this issue of grading is, especially for high school juniors and seniors who are looking to go to college in the fall or next year. And we, one thing that came up in that discussion is the, the need for there to be some kind of clarity from uh, state level, federal level, from college systems about what to do about grades for the semester. And we received the beginning of some of that clarity from at least the California um, the University of California system and the California State University system, which both unveiled new policies regarding grades for the semester for incoming or hopeful college applicants. So in response to the unfolding COVID-19 crisis and the impact that it's had on our schools, the University of California system announced last week temporary measures that relax undergraduate admissions requirements for students looking to enroll at AUC for this fall or and for future years as applicable. The chair of the Board of Regents, which is the governing board of the University of California system, John Perez said, quote, we want to help alleviate the tremendous disruption and anxiety that is already overwhelming prospective students due to COVID-19, end quote. And the president of the University of California system, Janet Napolitano, endorsed the changes, saying, quote, the university's flexibility at this crucial time will ensure prospective students aiming for UC get a full and fair shot, no matter their current challenges. So the changes that they made include suspending the letter grade requirement for those A through G courses, which are required and used as a measure of college readiness. Any of those courses that were completed in the winter, spring, or summer of 2020 no longer need to have a letter grade. Um, the UC system also suspended the standardized test requirement for students who are applying to fall 2021 freshman admission. So they no longer have to take the SAT or the ACT. And they also inserted some flexibility and deadlines for submitting official final transcripts because as you know schools being closed students are going to have a tough time probably getting their final official transcripts on time into the university by the deadlines so they added some flexibility for that and for transfer students the uc system is temporarily suspending the cap on the number of transferable units that have pass or no pass grading now the california state university system followed suit stating that it will accept grades of credit 
or passed to satisfy A through G requirements completed during the winter, spring, or summer terms. And the Cal State system also said that it'll assess and initially place students in first year English and math courses based on multiple measures that students have already submitted, including high school and college courses completed, GPAs and test scores on the SBAC or ACT or SAT. So in other words, they're being much more flexible with their decision on how to place students for those entry-level English and math courses. And they also announced that if any student has not met the A through G requirements, the uh, Cal State campuses individually can use admissions exceptions on a case-by-case -case basis if the students are no longer CSU eligible. So in other words, both systems are trying to be much more flexible with their admissions requirements. And we, we mentioned the need for flexibility in the last episode when it comes to grades and all that. So Jeff, what do you think about these changes? Well, I think these are actually really important, really welcome changes. Uh, I don't think in the end they're gonna be quite enough to address the, the full extent of the need. Um, you know, for example, at this point, we have all but essentially declared school over uh, in, in the physical sense, uh, school closed for the right. remainder of this school year. And so I think some of the things that are that we foresee as problems right now, right, that sort of bubbled their way up to uh, to the university systems will the, the negative effects of those uh, of the closures will compound uh, in some ways as we go forward. So um, so I think there's actually going to be a need for more. But I do want to really give credit where credit is due, which is, I, I think, in relatively quick fashion, these two massive university systems, right? We're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of students, right? Over 100,000 students, um, you know, uh, that are a part of these systems across the largest, you know, uh, uh, you know systems in the country. Um, getting, you know, new policy in place to allow high school students at least a fairer set of conditions in which they can apply to and be accepted into and actually have some of the leeway they need in order to matriculate into, uh, you know, the universities of, of their, uh, you know, of their choice in the fall. So, so I think it's great. I think, um, you know, again, there's probably going to be more that needs to be done, but I'm really happy to see uh, that really within just a few weeks of the shutdown, we've seen pretty substantial movement um, from these two institutions, which which are not historically known for, you know, quick policy decisions in service of kids right. and communities, right? So I want to give credit there. Yeah, um, I'm also impressed by how quickly they've done this because although it feels like we've been in this self-isolation quarantine situation, safer at home for like months and months by now, it's, it's really been, what, three weeks? Yeah. And for such a massive university system, or both of the systems, to unveil these changes that quickly, especially considering that, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming they also are having to do all this remotely and, and they're not having their in-person uh, giant meetings like before. To me, that's, that's pretty impressive. And it's important, I think, for that, that message to get to our students that, we see that they are going through something that is unprecedented. And, you know, of course, our juniors and seniors are, are super stressed already about college and the pressure to go to college and SATs and all these things. So to get the message from such a massive system that, you know, we acknowledge this semester is especially difficult and we are going to make some modifications to our admissions requirements to meet that. I think that's a, a very important maybe stress reliever for, for some of our students who yes. are just feeling like 
the whole world is against them now in terms of of their um, schooling experience. So I'm happy to see that. Of course, more will need to be um, done because obviously there's the, these two systems as big as they are. They don't account for for all the uh, potential colleges that our students are are looking to possibly attend. And also, we just like we mentioned last episode, we're going to need some clarity just for teachers in the K-12 system about what to do regarding grades and, and, and these matters. But it is a great first step, a really big first step, I think. And um, hopefully it's, it's the first of many announcements to come from the various systems that are having to make adjustments to meet our students' needs where they are right now during this crisis. Yeah, and I, I'm really glad you mentioned the you know the part about uh, about grades. And I think as we discussed in our in our last episode with Leo Glaze uh, about you know the sort of big question on a lot of schools' minds, and in particular high schools, like so, what do we do about grades? You know, we we talked about the sort of dominoes uh, needing to fall in in kind of a certain order, right? Because there are uh, you know at least state level policy considerations around. You know, what does it take to earn a credit, for example, for a high school course? And if you're not earning credits, then you can't graduate. And for a lot of colleges, if you haven't graduated from high school, you're not eligible to enter into the college. Right. And then we get into the, you know, in in a state like California, into the A to G requirements. Right. Which are essentially just the sort of liberal arts swath of courses that high school kids have to take and pass with a grade of C or better in order to be even eligible for the UC or the CSU systems, right? And so I think we're starting to see the dominoes fall, right? We're seeing the university system make some some accommodations. I think we'll see the state make some accommodations around seat time requirements for earning credit. I think we will see, you know, then things like, uh, you know, the NCAA will, uh, you know, will follow suit and give some leeway around, you know, GPA for eligibility requirements. And, you know, those sorts of things, I think, will, will, will start to fall uh, from this as well. And it's good. I'm really glad to see that we're so far seeing people come to reasonable conclusions, right? Like kids should not be harmed by this. We're going to have to do some extraordinary things in terms of policy changes to ensure that we are not creating uh, situations where the already privileged are even more privileged or where, you know, un, a, a sort of, um, you know, uh, neutral type policies don't have unintended consequences that exacerbate racial and economic gaps that are already present in our system. So um, it's not perfect. We haven't arrived yet, but these are important first steps. And I, I do want to applaud our, our state university systems for, for taking the first steps in this direction. Yeah, most definitely. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that this massive UC system also includes the number one public university in the world, (laughs) UCLA. And I'm happy to see that the number one public university in the world is uh, part of this change to make admission um, requirements a little more flexible for this generation of juniors and seniors. And also speaking to what you said about high school graduation requirements, I don't know, in our district, one of our graduation requirements has to do with um, community service or internship hours and a lot of seniors unsurprisingly kind of wait till the end of senior year to start really getting those hours going to to meet that and our district so far um has announced that they're not gonna they're gonna waive that requirement for for this year and i hope other districts are looking at their graduation requirements the ones above and beyond the basic um you know seat time credit situation and looking for ways to to address the fact that students 
they had a last day of school that they did not realize was going to be the last day of school. And they had big plans for the spring and they were not able to achieve those plans. And any of those plans that relate to graduating, hopefully districts across the country are looking at those requirements and making some adjustments as necessary. All right, Jeff, so that's it for today's Do Now. Up next, we'll have a seminar segment looking at the teaching of math in this COVID-19 learn from home era. Stay tuned. All right, folks, welcome to today's seminar. I am super excited to have with us two incredible guests who are gonna help us unpack a really interesting issue that I think just about every family in America is confronting nowadays. In this world where most schools across the country are closed and where parents have become teachers at home and students have become distance learners all at once, all together, uh, one of the more interesting questions is what is happening with mathematics? Um, the subject that is maybe unique among all subjects in school where people feel comfortable saying things like, well, I'm not a math person or she's just not good at math. Uh, now is square in the laps of everyone at home trying to make sense of math and math education. So we have two great guests with us today to help us explore this topic. We have Dana Enriquez Von Tour and we have Cara M. Now, let me tell you a little bit about these guests. They are both uh, powerful math educators unto themselves. So Dana Enriquez Von Tour has more than 20 years of experience in education. She began her teaching career through Teach for America as a kinder teacher in Houston and later became a middle school math teacher where she was acknowledged as one of the district's highly effective teachers. Dana has since held roles as a math content specialist, a curriculum manager for nearly 200 schools, and a secondary math coach. She has reviewed and written assessment items for the Texas State Assessments, uh, for the NAEP, and for PARC. And Dana has sat on the Mathematics Advisory Board for the Houston Children's Museum, the Council of Great City Schools, and on the Advisory, advisory Committee for Mathematics with the Texas Education Agency. Currently, Dana is the president of Vontour Learning, which provides K-8 and algebra professional development and customized supports for schools and teacher teams. Welcome, Dana, to all of the above. Welcome. We also have with us Dr. Kara M. Kara is a K-12 math educator based out of New York City. In her more than 20-year career, she has been a middle and high school math teacher, a staff developer, a coach, and teacher education professor. In her current role with the organization Math in the City, which is based at City College in New York, she develops teachers and math communities across the country and internationally. She's an author of articles and books on the teaching of mathematics, and just this week, she completed her PhD in urban education at the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. So Dr. M, freshly yeah. new Dr. M, um, uh, is with us. Her research explored the impact of mathematical modeling for high school girls of color who have experienced the gatekeeping effects of algebra. Welcome, Cara, to all the above. Thank you so much. Well, thank you both for being on, on our show, especially during this, this very tough time. Now, schools across the country are trying to do the uh, remote learning, distance learning thing because most districts in most states have, have shut down the in-person education because of the COVID-19 crisis. So that means the important work of students learning or continuing their learning of math is now 
squarely in the crosshairs of kids and their families at home. So we, I guess, are, are curious, what's your sense of how it's going so far? Maybe we'll start with uh, Dana. Um, so I think it's something new for all of us, not just as um, teachers, but as parents, you know, just human beings, period. This is all completely new to everyone. Um, I think that I see in my area that districts are definitely trying to balance the technology piece, like the access, the equity, like who has technology, who doesn't, um, who has internet, who doesn't, um, who receives paper packets, who doesn't need them, um, but we're all trying to learn at the same time. And um, we see right now, we do see on our um, one of our TV stations that two of our big school districts in the area are actually um, been filming and putting out little uh, mini lessons, both in English and Spanish. So we see a movement of support trying to take place. Um, the question of equity is still out there though. For sure. Um, I've spent the last two weeks or so talking to folks from around the country and uh, where I land in all those conversations with parents, principals, coaches, and even professors is, um, reminds me of a blog post called Dear Educators, This is a Lot, in which uh, the author describes that our efforts to keep children learning right now are, um, are at best artificial and at worst harmful. And that, that's a particular take, but I, I know from talking to folks in the field that it feels like a lot, no matter who you are, and that depending on the kind of support you had, um, the instruction looks really, really different. Um, so I, I'm thinking in particular of, of the rollout of instruction between Berkeley and Oakland, where I have some colleagues. Um, in Berkeley, they announced that 40% of the teaching force would be full-time caregivers, and up to 30% of the kids wouldn't have the right technology to kind of flip a switch, so to speak, and move in-person instruction to online. And so they took their time. And, and the message to teachers was, um, you know, whatever you can offer in these first few weeks is enough right now until we get a handle on technology and support for teachers. And so the rollout, I think, on the other end felt very slow and felt not that urgent. Meanwhile, in Oakland, they first met basic needs. So they, you know, given any form of food scarcity, they wanted to make sure kids had access to basic livelihoods, like, you know, meals during the day. And once they could assure that was happening, they developed continuity of learning plans. The message there to teachers was learning will continue. We have extremely high standards for kids and we don't want to have uh, what people are now calling a COVID slide where kids are losing material, right? And so the message in these two neighboring communities, I think is really fascinating um, in terms of how, how, how your leadership, how the framing of what exactly are we doing here really matters. Um, you know, and in terms of teachers, uh, I hear a lot of people saying, I'm doing everything I know how to do and I still feel like a failure or I'm not used to teaching in such a way where I don't get that kind of immediate feedback. Uh, a colleague named Marcel Good described um, she said, I feel like my whole life as a teacher, it's, it's been like being a stage actor. And in a stage actor, you can, you can look out into the crowd and you can get the response of laughter of, you know, like all that kind of nonverbal kind of affirmation that this is going as planned. And she said, now I'm a movie star and I don't know how to um, get the kind of response that I need to make sure that my lessons are kind of landing, right? That also includes half of her class, you know, in some cases isn't is in present. She said she feels like uh, more and more like a, like a college professor where the most satisfying part of her day is, is office hours. And she just waits to see who shows up. And there's these really beautiful connections 
but there's also kids she hasn't heard from, which is true for, for most of the teachers I talk to as well. Um, so I think everyone's feeling it's a lot and doing the very best they can. And um, the, the models were rolled out so differently with such different um, sources of support. It's, it, it looks really different, I think. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think from, from my perspective, I have seen, uh, you know, many of the challenges that, uh, that you've both spoken to there. And, and also, you know, so much changed all at once that uh, I think we were in this space where no one really knew exactly what to expect, right? Um, and now that we're kind of in, in many parts of the country, at least about three weeks into uh, this, this sort of new normal, I'm wondering what, if anything, you've seen that, that has perhaps surprised you or, or been unexpected. Tina, you want to take um, that one? So, I, yeah. Um, I think one thing that um, has surprised me is the, we've always made, uh, we hear about these jokes. Um, we always see the memes on social media about teachers and how easy they have it and they don't work over the summer and they get off spring break and they get off uh, Christmas. And now you see that whole mindset completely shift to where um, you see all these memes like, I don't care what that teacher asked for next year, I'm going to do it all. If they <laughs> want 50 glue sticks, I'm buying 50 glue sticks. Um, I, so I think uh, for me, in terms of my heart, like the appreciation that people are now developing for teachers, which has been a long time coming, um, is, is finally there. So that's very exciting for me. Um, I think also um, in terms of my field of work and coaching and working with a lot of um, teachers is um, that teachers have been um, okay with like asking, uh, hey, can you shoot a video teaching this and send it to me because I wanna load it in my classroom um, in my classroom video chat, I want to load it in Teams. I want to load it in Google, Zoom, or whatever they're using. And I'm and I'm like, sure, sure. Whereas sometimes when you're walking into a classroom and you're like, I'm here, I'm, you know, I can model a lesson, I can work with you. Sometimes it's kind of like, eh. Well, now that we're all kind of um, swimming in this new territory, right? And we're like trying to put this content that all of a sudden teachers just has been asked to make overnight and load into these different platforms. Um, I feel like there's definitely like, let me reach out to all resources that live out there and try to get some support. So um, those are two big things that I've kind of seen um, mindset wise start to shift. Great. Um, yeah, there have been some interesting surprises. I've heard from lots of folks, particularly who work in um, kind of urban areas of, I guess, the surprise of having really strong relationships with kids um, up until the pandemic and being surprised that those same kids are not present in any of the distance learning ways. Either they're kind of logging on, um, but not producing any work, or they're not participating, or in some cases, they're just absent from all communications. And that's been really tough for teachers who have, you know, teachers build such close relationships with kids, and you just hope that those strong relationships carry over. And it's been a surprise to many of my colleagues that in some cases, um, kids are clearly occupied with other more urgent things like probably caretaking, right? Or just managing the home or there might be other things getting in the way, but to hear nothing from kids who you had such a close relationship with and who you kind of saw daily who were part of your community has been both a surprise and really hard for some teachers I know. Um, and two other 
surprises about kind of just this distance learning kind of as a medium. One is that um, I've talked to lots of folks who describe that there's, if you have kind of um, any social anxiety, that there's a pretty kind of high barrier to participation in many of these formats. You might not want to see yourself on video or want to see your whole fifth grade class or ninth grade class um, day in, day out. And you're used to maybe being the kid who hides a bit. Um, there's no hiding in these platforms, particularly if you're doing synchronous or a live lessons. And so that can be really hard for kids. Yes, you can turn off the screen, but then that takes away a, a one of the ways that your teacher knows that the lesson is kind of landing. And so there's that kind of tension there. Um, another surprise that's probably not... Um, as critical is just the idea that for some kids working independently, getting some like deliverable at the, on Monday that they have to complete by Friday and being able to structure their time and like not having the nonsense of group work and a math partner who doesn't listen to you has been a relief for some kids. Like I get to work on my own finally, like this is what I've wanted the whole time. So I think those are kind of three, three surprises that this, this kind of new environment has, uh, has brought out for folks. Now, Dana, you mentioned something pretty interesting um, to me about f folks asking if you could create a video that they could then incorporate into their own um, whatever Google Classroom or online um, service, whatever they use. Um, what other questions or, or needs have you got a sense of from, from either teachers or families and kids um, during this effort to try to continue their math learning from home. So one of the pieces um, I found uh, that just from social media, like um, just, and this was my Facebook is not public. I um, that's just a personal for my Facebook, but I found out like lots of friends um, reaching out to me saying, "Hey, like there's a there's so many resources right now that are being put out there and that that are free. Like which math program? If I'm going to have my kid." Um, log on to one, what should it be? Um, and so I always have to kind of start off with, well, I don't know all of them. Let me just tell you the ones that I know. And let me tell you the ones that I put my own kids on. Um, and so that piece has kind of come out. And then the piece of um, supporting, like I get started, I think in one week I answered 54 um, problems where people were taking pictures of problems that their kids had to solve. And they were like, I have no clue how to teach them this. Um, and things that parents may be embarrassed to say, to email back the teacher, like, I don't know what this is. So I don't know what you're talking about. So I don't know how to help my child and my child is stuck. Um, and so trying to educate, I think my friends and the community that I'm close to then led to me saying, hey, why don't I start making these videos, things that I, strategies and different things that I teach my child and I winded up posting them on just my Facebook page alone. A lot of them that strategies that I've learned from going to different math workshops, like that's how um, I know Cara, like some of them I've learned working with her. Um, and so I started making those and that led to, well, by the way, principals seeing that and saying, you're already a coach at our school, can you shoot some, the one, number one thing I probably get asked to is do a problem of the day. When they put a problem of the day, it's a word problem and um, how would you solve this? Um, so that piece has led me to doing that work. Um, I try to incorporate my daughters because I want them to be a part of it. Um, so it's something that we can do together. Um, but I have that flexibility, so to speak, um, at home to be able to do that right now because I'm not working at all. Um, and so because of that, I've been trying to use my time to do things like that. So I'm trying to put out as many videos, like never had a YouTube channel, just started one from scratch. <laughs> 
<laughs> just so that I could start posting um, different things. And I just started getting random requests from teachers that aren't even, I've never met before, never worked with saying, hey, how would I solve this? Um, and a lot of the questions are showing up in like platforms that they're using or banks or, you know, different programs that they're using. Um, and they may not be familiar with it, but their district might have immediately purchased it so that they could use it uh, to support their teaching. Um, and so it's not something that teachers have had time to study yet and look through and saw through. They're just seeing it show up and they're like, hey, I got to be ready to go with this tomorrow. So we try to do a 24 hour turnaround. Um, and we've been, I, well, I say we, it's just me. Um, <laughs> but I've been pretty, pretty good about it so far. Um, I think to date, I did 54 in one week, but I think now I've got to be close to like 80 or 90 um, questions and just trying to solve from different parents and just different teachers that just keep inboxing me. Um, and so I felt like that's the way that I could be supportive um, because what I do know is that I don't want someone to feel like they're alone, a teacher, a student, or a parent. Um, and I don't want someone to teach something wrong. There's nothing wrong with reaching out to someone. And so that's done confidential, like confidential. So I don't share like, oh, this Miss so-and-so sent this to me. I'll just say, this is a request that I got. And I just saw it and I post it for everybody. Nice, nice. And Cara, you mentioned a lot of the challenges that come with trying to teach remotely. And um, I was wondering if within that, if there are any particular needs or questions that you've been getting from teachers or families um, or schools as it pertains to trying to learn math under all these circumstances. Yeah, um, I definitely initially got a lot of questions about what Dana was referring to. What curriculum is best? Where, what app is going to work for my community? And to be honest, it feels like the math marketplace is really full. And so I do understand why people, even before the pandemic, were wading through resources. Uh, re uh, resources are not the problem in math education. Quality resources is yes. the problem. Um, and so now we're in a marketplace where it seems like anybody with any form of humanity is giving away their work for free. So I actually didn't make videos. I thought, Dana's there. There's lots of good people making great videos and products and problems of the day. What one movement that I think has not been tapped and I think we're going to be moving closer to it is this idea of math at home. I mean, if you think about those of us who kind of love mathematics as inquiry, understand that it's this human endeavor, that mathematics was created by humans to make sense of the world. And so this is a moment like 9-11 where the world has given us a curriculum. And whatever part of the curriculum makes sense to you today, whether that's a neighborhood walk or planning the family budget for groceries or monitoring water use, or like, or even thinking about the kind of COVID-19 as a, as a big messy issue. Like there's lots of things in our days that can be mathematized in families, in homes, that I think it might be the direction that feels better for a lot of people because it doesn't require resources, technology. It requires parents to ask kids really interesting questions about what's happening right in front of them. Um, so I, I, I like that that kind of, that trend. It, it seems like now we're, we're in this for several more weeks, if not the rest of the school year. And um, there's school districts where there's no new math instruction happening. Like they, they've made a stance that like, we're gonna try to make sure that we just review for the rest of the year. And like, that's lots of weeks of review. Meanwhile, there's other school districts that are trying to figure out how do you do inquiry? How do you do really rich problem solving in a remote way? And, and it's, it's really tricky. So there is a need there to think about how to do that. And I think the answer to that is look around you and mathematize questions that your children have, right? 
and maybe the teacher kind of facilitates how to how to do that so we could support teachers to know how to do that. And one thing, um, just to piggyback off of what Cara said, myself being a mom and having two uh, daughters, um, and I'm an educator, and there's times that I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to stress about what was given. Let's just do what we normally do. And so I said, hey, we're going to we're going to cook together. I had this idea. We're going to cook together. right? We're going to cook together. There's so much math and cooking. Right. And so my daughter made a mistake of putting one tablespoon versus one teaspoon. Um, and I didn't say anything. So we're, I, I don't know what we were making, but she was it was something like a. Uh, Cayenne pepper. It was, she was putting cayenne pepper in there. And you that's, just gotta that's that a big difference one. in cayenne pepper, <laughs> Dana. You got to make that mistake one time and that's make right. realize there's a difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon. Mm-hmm. And then she starts digging through the drawer and then she lays them all out. And then she's like, oh, look, mom, this says... Um, a fourth of a cup, but it's not in a in a cup. It looks like a spoon. So why isn't it called a fourth of a tablespoon? So then we start having all these discussions and she starts figuring these things out. And I thought to myself, that's a math lesson that'll never take place in a textbook. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you both, uh, you know, have, have spoken to that, the sort of ways in which math is present in our daily lives that um, that we often just don't even think about. Um, but then when we talk about math in school, we sometimes talk about it as though it's like this big, scary monster living in the hillside that, you know, <laughs> that's going to come eat us, right? Um, when we interact with it uh, in many ways, just in normal daily life. Um, I, I saw a uh, sort of a, a meme the other day that a, a friend of mine sent me. There was a graph of a parabola talking about, um, you know, the the um, average hours per day I've spent looking at um, exponential growth uh, over the last week. And uh, I was like, what a perfect way to, you know, to capture what's happening to everyone. Um, and I actually want to kind of probe a little bit deeper into this issue of the, the world giving us a curriculum uh, right now, Cara, that you mentioned. And um, so on the one hand, that excites me as an educator and as someone who appreciates math. Um, but also I can see that being being scary and being difficult for people to to grapple with, both because of the kind of emotional content of that curriculum, which is a pandemic, but also um, because the the kind of math that you're naming is different than uh, than a lot of the the way that people experienced math in school um, themselves, right? And like folks who kind of grew up in the you know the kind of flashcard uh, teacher does a problem on the board and the kids copy it and then you do the odd problems at home type of type of a life, right? And so you know it, in in this world where we have a rich curriculum presented to us but we have people who didn't engage with math in that way. What are some things you think, um, you know, that might help families make use of that curriculum that's, that's in front of us? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think and when I say the world hands you a curriculum, I mean that any aspect of your new normal from living in your home to co-quarantining to, I mean, all of it. And it's, it's highly traumatic stuff for sure. So I want to be really sensitive when I say the world hands you a curriculum, go explore it. Um, it's, it's going to be kind of trauma inducing for lots of kids. But I think the point I was trying to get at also is that um, we've lost this idea that math is designed to make sense of the world, that school mathematics and lived mathematics have, have felt really, really different for kids for a long time. And this is one more example of how um, 
worksheets from your teacher or flashcards feel really disconnected to the kind of math that a lot of us are kind of really focused on. Like, um, you know, thinking about the, the note, all the ratios that are present in this virus and how data is collected and um, what does it mean to flatten the curve? I mean, these are questions I think that are appropriate probably for, for high school kids to take up and to connect to the school mathematics they were already doing. Um, I know a lot of teachers who, um, you know, believe or have believed in a common core like mathematics and realize that, that at home parents might be reverting to math that they know. Um, and they say, right now, that's okay. Like if kids come back and they're carrying the one, I can live with that because at least they're doing something, right? At least they're engaging with families. So I think that's not the most urgent thing right now. I think people have, um, we'll, we'll figure that out. It points to the idea that we still have a lot of work to do with families to understand why we care so much about the mathematics that we're doing with kids. And that's not going to fix in, in this environment or right now. So I feel like a lot of people are letting go of that. Like if it's flashcards, and that engages your child and keeps you able to do your work, I think then it's flashcards. It's not ideal, but it's like what we have right now. Is, I was gonna say, I think one of the um, things that we can't control that we have to let go of right now um, is understanding that there is no true way that we can assess the quality of work, um, the quality of learning or the quality of teaching, because this is new to all of us, um, but, for years, teachers understand what it's like to start the beginning of the school year and have to close gaps or get kids caught up to where they need to be to get ready for the current content. So I believe strongly that that's going to happen, that every school, every classroom across this nation and this world is going to make sure that we start the school year off with somewhat some type of review to go back and say, hey, we're not sure if everybody had access to technology, if everybody's parent went and picked up a packet. We're not sure if your parents had time to sit and do some math with you every day. So we're going to need to supplement and close some gaps and we're going to do it and we're going to be great and we're going to be fine. So I, I feel strongly about families not overly stressing themselves um, about the quality of teaching that their child is getting right now from them. Um, I just want kids to be happy. And it's it's a tough time to be happy. I mean, you're missing your friends, right? Even um, my daughter who's like, hey, I want to be homeschooled. I have an older one who wants to be homeschooled all the time. And now she's like, I really miss seeing Miss so-and-so, Mr. so-and-so. I really miss my friends, like, um, you know, things like that. And there's nothing I can do to supplement that, right? We're just trying to make every day um, feel somewhat normal and it's absolutely not normal at all. Um, I even kind of pushed back with saying homeschool because this is not school, right? This is not school. This is not the school that we signed up for. Um, and so I don't want to try to like normalize something that's completely not normal for them. Um, so every day it's kind of like, hey, we're going to do the best that we can. We're going to make the best out of it. And it is what it is. Um, but I know I feel confident that when the school year starts, that schools are going to do what they need to do um, to kind of get all kids back together and get them where they need to be. Um, and I think that's what I feel like a lot of parents are so worried that their kid is going to fall behind. Um, and we, I mean, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but educators for years know what it's like to bring kids back up to speed. Um, we can't assume the quality of learning that has been taking place during this, situ this time period or the situation at all. Um, so it's, it's going to happen. We, we are definitely going to get kids caught back up. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we've been speaking recently on the show about grades, for example, and how messy of a situation, messy of an issue it is in terms of how do you even grade or assess student work during this time. And it seems to be a real um, dynamic out there between those who are focused on like the the traditional academic learning that must go on, school must go on, and those who are like, wait, this is this is a moment where we got to call time out and really think about how this is impacting us as like just on that social emotional level, because this is a traumatic experience that we're all dealing with it at various levels in, di in different ways. And that, that sort of push pull between like keep school going and wait time out like school maybe isn't the most important thing right now because, you know, our kids are, are, are seeing these, you know, seeing the news and, and hearing about this and there's there's bigger matters on the table. So that's like a, a really difficult, I think, arena for educators to wrap their heads around because we're so used to like keeping our units going. And I'm usually teaching about this at this time of year. And how am I going to do that? Maybe through Google Classroom. But that overall question of like what this giant experience means for education and more specifically, like what opportunities maybe we could see within this this dynamic to sort of rethink the way we do things or rethink how in this for example, how, how math is taught. Um, I was wondering if either of you could speak to, you know, we already talked about how this presents us with the opportunity to at least think about math in our lived everyday experience and math from the home in that sense. But um, I was wondering if either of you could speak to what other opportunities you think this, this experience might be offering us in education for how to really think about the teaching and learning of, of math or of, of academic content in general. Sure, I'll start with that one. Um, you know, where kids are turning in work, um, teachers are saying, I finally have enough time to look at the work. That's the only thing I have. And so at, at some level, if you are getting some pieces, if, if you have that kind of robust digital platform or you're getting photographs of kids' work and the work is interesting, this, this is for some teachers the first time they've actually ever seen and had enough time to really look carefully at student work and not have to grade it, right? And so then there's this like beautiful food feedback loop. So best case scenario, we're spending more time because we're not in the presence of children looking at their work, that's all we have, and then giving them feedback. And maybe that feedback is designed to kind of give them ideas about going forward. Um, I, I'm thinking about how the silver lining might be, and my hope is that um, not only have tests been suspended this year, but that we take a nice big breath from standardized testing next year too. And in a field like mathematics, where we start testing kids earlier and earlier and do it annually and kind of over-test kids, I think the country is right to say we don't need standardized tests, not only this year, but next year. And next year we come back and we first and foremost welcome kids back to school and reset around this is this beautiful educational community that does so much more then produce a series of lessons, right? And check off a series of standards. That's not, that's a very, very small part of what it means to go to school and part of the value that we offer, right, as teachers. And so I think teachers will need some support around dealing with trauma themselves and in the lives of their students. And there'll be some really rich um, community building together to welcome kids back, assuming we're back in the fall. And then we can start to think about without the presence of a standardized test looming, where are we now? We were already not in the same place. So this idea that like that we're going to have this massive catch up, there were already kids in our classroom who weren't on grade level. That's that's the norm. That's kind of human learning. So the question is, how do we artfully take a year to breathe um, and let kids um, 
you know, let teachers kind of figure out where kids are and move together as a class, move together as a grade, whatever that looks like. That's my, my best, you know, my aspirational hope of what, what might happen. Um, yeah. Dana, do you want to say more? Yeah, I think um, just in terms of what the learning experiences are for us um, and what teachers are thinking about. Um, I think about teachers, like a lot of things that we hear teachers, administrators, students, and families all talking about is technology, 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 technology. Um, either the access to technology or the absence of technology. And um, I'm gonna keep pushing this, this equity issue where um, certain schools, everybody has a laptop or an iPad or the school is capable of checking out iPads and laptops. And then we have other schools where that's not happening and we're in the same district, we're in the same district. Um, so I think that's one piece that we're starting to be very mindful and realizing that all schools don't have that same access to technology. Um, I do think that a lot of teachers and administrators are concerned about accountability, the testing piece. It's nice, it is so nice um, that that has been put on hold for this year. Um, in Texas, they've said we're already gonna, next year it will kick back, it'll be back. It, I mean, that's a whole different debate, but um, I, you know, I just wonder if that's the type of stress that schools and students need to, and teachers need to be under when we're just very first coming back from dealing from such a traumatic event. Um, so I don't know, maybe they'll rethink it, uh, maybe they won't. And then I think um, that families are definitely gonna need support uh, coming back and, and understanding. And I do think there is gonna be a greater appreciation for what schools provide for the community. So that's very exciting, but I think the quality of um, the education that we give now, people have realized is they value it way more than it's, it's been in the past. Yeah, for our last question, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad to ask the last question because I would love to keep talking to you both for, for hours about this stuff. But, um, you know, you're, you're both um, people that I uh, have appreciated, um, you know, from afar, uh, Dana, in your case, um, in, your, in your work with teachers um, and teachers of mathematics. And Cara, from up close, when uh, when I lived in New York and when we when we worked together uh, at one point, um, but you're both people that I think when folks think about what school is and and what the impact of the school closures is, they might not think of you and people like you first, right? They think of their teacher and they think of the principal and the people in the office and that sort of thing. But there's this whole world of people around your teachers and your principal and, and the folks in the office who work with schools and help teachers and work with teams of teachers and work with schools to help bring the work that people want to do to life. And I'm wondering if you can give us uh, some insight as being, being educators who kind of work in that space, how have the shutdowns impacted you and impacted your work? Mm. I, I use, uh, I'll use an image to describe what happened. Um, you know, I work in schools all across New York City and then on the side, I work in schools across the country and um, my days are filled supporting and building mathematical communities in schools. Um, I walk into classrooms where they know me as Miss Cara and there's a like, oh, Miss Cara's here, it's time to do math, um, where I'm a regular participant in people's classrooms, but these are not my own classrooms. 
Um, and so one by one, starting about three and a half, four weeks ago, things just started to get canceled. It was a workshop here. It was a night class here. It was a, a you know, a day in a school there. And my calendar that was kind of my, if you can imagine a Google calendar full of color, as each event got canceled, I turned it to, I turned it gray. And before I knew, I look up and my calendar was kind of for the for its foreseeable future, just a shade of gray, right? And so all those chances to be in schools were noticeably gone. I think right now we're seeing the primacy of the relationship between the classroom teacher and their students. And I don't want to get in the way of that. I mean, the rank and file teachers are doing the heavy lifting here. And even friends of mine who are assistant principals and principals have noted to me, I, I hope I'm doing enough. I'm not really sure what else there is to do. Really, the teaching and learning always has been between teachers and um, their kids in that classroom space. And so I haven't felt very vital and I've made myself really available. But for now, I've just had to pivot and my work has essentially disappeared for the short term. And I'm just hoping that I can help teachers and school communities think through the transition back to in-person school when we're ready and how to make sense of that. And I hope I have enough in my toolkit that includes dealing with trauma and building math communities and also teaching really rich mathematics that I'll be of value when, when that time comes. And for me, um, so I have uh, other coaches that work for me and we go out in the schools. Our work has completely stopped. Um, and it's, it's been a little, uh, scary, uh, very scary. So, um, you know, just everything has been canceled. Same thing, um, fly across, you know, the United States working in different school districts or working with different schools. Um, so that work has all ceased. And so we're all at home and, um, it's, it's scary just like it is for everybody else. Um, but I felt like the best way I could make myself um, available and also to keep me happy, my sanity happy was um, addressing, you know, the jokes or when people were calling like, oh, we're going to borrow today or we're going to carry the one and um, kind of making, addressing those memes and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to shoot some videos to explain why um, we want um, kids to use a different language. And um, surprisingly, um, the feedback's been great and, you know, parents have been like, oh, now I get it. Now I see what you're talking about. So that's kind of cheered me up and kept me happy. But our work has completely stopped. Um, hopefully in the you know future when things get going again, I'll be excited to support teachers. Um, I miss being in the classrooms. Um, I miss the kids. I, I miss the teachers a lot. Um, social media has allowed me to to keep in touch with with everyone, um, but it's it's hard. Um, I do. I work in lots of schools that have uh, high needs, and um, I miss I miss the kids. I'm there enough to know them um, well enough by name, and I miss them. And I I just my heart uh, it aches at night because I hope that they're okay. Um, it's starting to get hot here in Texas, and I worry about you know food. I worry about AC um, for them. Um, I know you know, technology is not there. So um, I just hope that they know that we're going to be ready for them when we get past this. Yeah. Well, uh, Cara and Dana, uh, just want to thank you both for taking the time to, to join us today and to talk through these just really interesting issues about, you know, kind of the new normal and the teaching of math at home. Um, and really appreciate your your expertise coming all the way from from New York City and from Houston. So thank you for joining us on all of the above. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. 
All right, folks, next up is today's Class Dismissed. All right, folks, it's time for today's Class Dismissed, where we like to pause and give some shout outs for a moment to people in education doing some great work. Um, and well, who do we got today? All right, so today we want to shout out a fantastic educator. A lot of you know him from Twitter. His name is Jose Vilson, AKA the JLV on Twitter. Mr. Vilson is a decorated math teacher and a real giant in our field. He's the author of This Is Not A Test. He's a nationally board certified teacher. He's given TED Talks. He's the co-founder of hashtag EduColor, which is a dialogue and a, a movement to center the voices and experiences of, of black indigenous people of color in education conversations. And he's been trumpeting equity way before it became a popular buzzworthy type of term among all of your education favorites. So uh, we want to shout him out today because like the rest of us, Mr. Vilson's teaching practice has been relegated to his living room during this coronavirus pandemic and is trying to teach middle school math to his middle schoolers from home. And of course, like we just discussed in today's seminar, that's a, a, a big challenge. And he decided to take to Instagram live to make his math lessons live for anybody to see. Now, of course, celebrities and various content creators have been going to Instagram live with concerts and, and, and all sorts of things that they're doing from their house. And um, Mr. Wilson went there to show his math instruction, pedagogical skills, and be there for parents as well so that they could help their kids in learning the math. Now, Jeff, you know, a lot of teachers are really skittish about opening up their classroom to others. And this is a case where Mr. Filson is, is opening up his classroom to the world, really, and doing it in such a way that his, his students' privacy, of course, is intact since they are not appearing on the videos themselves. And he's opening up his, his, his pedagogy for everybody to see. And we just think that's really dope, utilizing various uh, social media platforms to, to keep the math instruction going. And uh, we just want to shout him out for letting us all be witness to this dope math instruction um, that's coming out of New York City, out of his living room. Yeah, big props to uh, the JLV. Love seeing his work on Twitter for sure. And uh, folks, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate, as always, your support. And our website is aotashow.com. That's where you can go to find all of our content. Every single thing we do, we are on all your major uh, podcast providers. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube. And especially at this time when everybody's at home and everybody's looking for a new podcast or a new show to follow, why not share all the above, folks? So if you like what you see, please pass the word along to someone you know who might be interested as well. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time.